Thank you very much, Leslie, for reading that for us. Let's um, pray as we come to think about this um, interesting passage. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it's a word that speaks um, today, uh, even though it tells about events um, maybe 4,000 years ago. Help us to hear what you are saying. Help me to speak your words faithfully by your spirit and help us all to hear by the power of your spirit what you want to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to look it up in the Bibles, um, it's, it's Genesis 22. Um, Genesis is the first book, so it's easy to find. It's not Genesis 242. Um, that's um, a typo by me. Um, but let's, um, let's, let's make a start. Um, you'll be aware, of course, that the big news this week is war in the Ukraine. Um, it's a tragic and a horrific um, events taking place, and obviously we despair at what Russia are doing there. But it also raises questions for all of us about sacrifice. One of the ways um, the international community are trying to um, deter aggression by Russia is to impose sanctions on Russia. Uh, and those sanctions are designed to um, damage the economy of Russia. But the reality is that putting sanctions on another country also means damaging our own economies. If we say that we're not going to import any gas or oil from Russia, then there'll be less gas and oil for us and the price of gas and oil will go up in our country at a time when it's already very high. To impose sanctions means making sacrifices. And yet, many, I think rightly, feel that we need to make those sacrifices because of what Russia are doing. For people living in Ukraine, of course, the um, situation is much more stark, isn't it? For them to stand up and fight against um, the Russian aggression, the Russian invasion of their country, means risking their lives, even giving their lives. One of the most powerful stories I've heard so far is of 13 border guards on an island in the Black Sea that refused to surrender their island to um, a Russian naval vessel. And the result was a Russian naval vessel shelled them and all 13 were killed. They gave their lives because they loved their country more than their life. And you see, actually, sacrifice and love are deeply connected if you love one thing more than another, you'll be willing to sacrifice the thing you love less in order to obtain the thing you love more. That can happen at all kinds of levels, can't it? Um, take a child in the school playground. Um, they've got a Kit Kat in their packed lunch, um, but their friend offers to swap it for a Mars bar. If they, love the Mar if they love Mars bars more than they love Kit Kats, then they'll sacrifice their Kit Kat in order to gain a Mars bar. It's a, it's a simple thing. Um, what we love more will be willing to sacrifice the things we love less for. Or take, oops, going too fast. Or take someone who, say, say a guy called Harry. Oh, this is made up. <laughs> and he's in love with a girl called Helen. But his job tells him that he needs to go abroad to another country to take him thousands of miles away from Helen. If he loves Helen more than his job, he will sacrifice his career in order to be with Helen. Sacrifice shows what you love more. Or take someone, say, in the US who hasn't got any health insurance and their child becomes 
incredibly ill. Um, to pay for the health um, fees for the medical treatments, they decide they need to sell their house in order to treat their child. They're sacrificing their house in order to show they love their child more. And the question for us, I guess, as Christians is, um, as we think about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, someone who wants to learn from Christ and live for Christ, what is the cost of that? What sacrifice are we willing to take in order to be Christ? What sacrifice are we willing to make? Are we willing to give up our time for him? Are we willing to give up our career if he calls us to? Are we willing to give up our money to serve him? What sacrifices are we willing to make? And actually, Jesus puts it incredibly starkly. In Matthew chapter 10, he says this, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his own his cross and follow me, in other words, is willing to risk, give up their life, is not worthy of me. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, actually, to be a disciple of Christ means to be called to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We've had that already in a service. We're called to love God more than anything else. And if we love God more than anything else, then we'll be willing to sacrifice the other things if it's necessary to serve God. Whether it be our money, our career, or even possibly our children or parents, or our own lives. We're willing to make that kind of sacrifice. Uh, and is making that kind of sacrifice right? Should we love God more than our children? Should we be willing to sacrifice such a great way? Is that a wise thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? Well, that sort of question was faced by Abraham at the beginning of our reading today, and it's quite a, a tense story when you think about it. Um, you know the story of Abraham so far. This, this is really the climax of the story, the, the last major bit. But Abraham was called by God to, to leave, the, leave his own home and go to the promised land. And God promised him that his descendants would become a great nation. There'd be lots of them. They'd live in the promised land. Uh, and that they would be blessed by God and be a blessing to the world around. Um, amazing promises. And Abraham grabbed hold of those promises and followed God and went to the promised lands. Uh, and yet there's a problem, wasn't there? God promised that his family would become a great nation, but he didn't have any children. How can you have a, your children become a great nation if there aren't any there? And for years and years, as he was in the promised land that we'd gone to on God's promise, there were no children. He, he tried those dodgy things of sleeping with his wife's um, servant girl. You saw that a few weeks ago, and, and that wasn't what God wanted. But in the end, when um, Abraham and Sarah were beyond any hope of having a child because they were so old, God comes and says, Sarah will have a child. And a child is born. And it's such an amazing, wonderful, incredible thing. They call him Isaac, which means laughter. How ridiculous that Sarah can have a child at this age. And yet here was Isaac, the child of promise, the child that God had said would come, the child of old age, the child they'd longed for and waited for for so long. And more than that, the child that God says and confirms in chapter 21, verse 12, he says... Um, 
it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, all those promises I made to you, Abraham, it's through Isaac they'll come true. His children will become a great nation. And now, at the beginning of chapter 22, God says this amazing thing to Abraham. Well, this awful thing to Abraham. Go take your child and sacrifice him on the mountain of Moriah. What's going on here? God acknowledges, doesn't he, that um, Abraham loves his child, Isaac. God acknowledges that, that Isaac is the most precious and amazing thing to him. And this is a shocking thing for God to say. And firstly, actually, if you read the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, it makes incredibly clear that child sacrifice is a definite no-no. It's abhorrent to God. He condemns it in other nations and other religions where it happens. How can God call on Abraham to sacrifice his child here? And as anyone would know, to lose a child is the worst thing that anyone could go through. How can God ask Abraham, to sacrifice his child. And Isaac is a child of promise. Isaac is the one for whom God's promises will come and be a blessing. How can God tell him to kill the son through whom these things will be a blessing? And, and so as we read the story, we naturally sort of say, no, we don't want Isaac to die. That's going to be completely wrong. And yet, it says at the beginning that God was testing Abraham by telling him to follow this command. And surely we want Abraham to pass the test. And so as we go to this story, we've got this, this tension between wanting Abraham to pass the test and yet not wanting Isaac to die and, and not knowing what's going to happen. And the story doesn't make it easy because as you read through it, and I, I know most of you have read the story before and heard it read just now, know the, you know the end of the story. But imagine you don't know the end of the story. As you read through the story, you're wondering what's going to happen. Is Isaac going to die? Is Abraham going to pass the test? And the story is told in a, in a slow and, and careful way. Abraham's given his command and then he loads his donkey. He gets everything ready. He puts the, cuts up the wood ready for the sacrifice and puts it on the donkey. He takes Isaac, his son, and two other young servants and they head off on a journey. And it's a long journey. It's a hard journey. It's a hard thing for Abraham to do. It's not do it now and over and done with. No, he's got to go a long way. There's plenty of chance to turn back, plenty of chances to fail the test. And he keeps going. And he gets to the foot of the mountain uh, um, and he tells, tells the servants to stay behind. Um, and he leaves the donkey with them. And he puts the woods on Isaac's back. And together they head off, just the two of them, up the mountain. What must Abraham have been going through? What must he have been thinking? We give us a glimpse of that as they go up the mountain and Isaac looks around and he realizes they're going to do make a sacrifice but he realizes that there's nothing to sacrifice. There's no lamb, there's no sheep. And he says to his father, Father, where, where's, the, where's the lamb to sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. What did Abraham mean by that? Was, was he telling a white lie so Isaac wasn't so worried? Or did Abraham somehow know or somehow trust that even though God was telling him this such a difficult and hard and testing command, 
that this was the God he'd come to know over his lifetime. The God that had done the impossible, that had done the incredible, the God who had shown his blessings, shown his love, that even though he's asking him to make this great sacrifice, somehow God would come through, somehow God would sort things out. Abraham wouldn't know how, didn't know why, but he trusted God. Trusted that God will provide. God would somehow sort out the tension in the story. But the tension doesn't go away. They reach the top of the mountain, and Abraham, and it sort of goes, the storytelling goes into kind of slow motion. We're told every little detail. Abraham builds the altar. He places the wood on the altar. He binds his son Isaac. Now Isaac was probably a teenager at this by this point, and so Isaac must have understood now what was happening. And yet Isaac also was obedient to this horrific command and allowed himself to be bound. He took Isaac and put him on the wood on the altar. He got the knife into his hands. He took the knife and moved it, ready to slit Isaac's throat. The tension in the story builds and builds and builds. And then just at the moment he was going to slit his throat, a voice comes from heaven. Abraham, Abraham! And Abraham says, here I am. And the voice says, do not harm your son. Do not touch him. God never intended that Isaac would be killed. But the angel says, now I know you have passed the test. Now I know that you would give up anything for me. That you fear God, that you are obedient to God. Abraham has passed the test, but Isaac's still alive. And more than that, Abraham sees a ram caught in the thickets by his horns just nearby. And he takes the ram and he places Isaac on the, um, Isaac on the altar with the ram on the altar and sacrifices the ram in his place. And he says, this is the place where the, we know that God, Yahweh, the Lord, provides. He celebrates the fact that his faith that God would provide, that his faith that no matter how hard a sacrifice he called him to make, God would make it worth it, God would make up for it. He trusted in that and God had come through. And Abraham's delighted and one celebrates the provision by naming the place. But also the story celebrates the fact that Abraham has passed the test, that Abraham was obedient, that Abraham does love God more than anyone else or anything else. And so because of Abraham's love for God, the promises that have already been made to him are reaffirmed in more powerful and stronger ways. So he says, look, your descendants will not just be like the stars in the sky, they'll be like the sand on the seashore. You'll not just inherit the land, you'll conquer cities. And you will be a blessing to all nations. Abraham's obedience, Abraham's dedication and devotion to God, his willingness to sacrifice what was most valuable to him for God, ends up bringing him incredible blessings, incredible hope. God provides but blesses more and more. Sacrificing for God is always worth it. Trusting in God, no matter what he asks you to do, that he will bring you through in the end and make things worth it in the end is always worth it, no matter how hard the sacrifice. And trusting, actually, God loves your children. 
God loves your parents more than you do. You can hand them over to him. You can trust him with them. Abraham learned that lesson and we are to learn it too. And yet, I wonder, are you still thinking, how could God ask Abraham to do that? How could God set up that tension, that that heartache for Abraham to be pulled between loving God and loving his son? We can't fully answer that question. And yet when we come to the New Testament, we come at the whole story with a different perspective. The perspective of the cross and of Jesus. You see, in the story, Isaac is described as Abraham's only son. It wasn't quite true, you'd have Ishmael, but that wasn't with Sarah. In a sense, Isaac was the son, the one that mattered. And in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the one and only son. That verse we had at the beginning of our service, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God was willing to sacrifice his son for the world. Does it mean he loves, his son, loves the world more than he loves his son? I mean, that, it's incredible, isn't it, to think God loves us that much, but is that really true? How does this work, this tension between sacrificing Jesus and, and for the sake of the world? This is an incredible tension for God as the Father. That he'd give up his one and only son, his son from eternity. For our sakes. And actually in the story as well, there's another hint that's picked up in the gospel stories. I mean, Isaac has to carry wood up the mountain. As he's prepared to be sacrificed, he's laid on the woods. The name of the mountain is Moriah, and we're later told in the Old Testament that Moriah was a place where the temple was built, i.e. it's Jerusalem. Jesus, like Isaac, is obedient to death. Jesus carries his cross, the wood, to his place of execution. Jesus is laid on the cross, on the wood, and nailed to it. And yet, unlike Isaac, Jesus is killed. He is sacrificed. Jesus is not replaced by a lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. What God asked Abraham to do was actually a picture of what God himself would do for us in sending Jesus to die. But did God love us more than his son? Did God completely abandon and give up on Jesus on the cross? Well, in the story, we're told that it's on the third day they reached the mountain. The third day of Abraham having to wrestle with this horrendous command to sacrifice his son, not knowing what's going to happen to his son, not knowing what would happen when he got to the point of the mountain. Three days where to him his son was dead to him. But on the third day it was resolved. And Jesus lay in a tomb, didn't he? From Friday, Saturday, and on the third day, on a Sunday, there was the resurrection. 
God hasn't abandoned Jesus. God hasn't forgotten about Jesus. God shows his love for Jesus by raising him from the dead before anyone else and giving him a new life and a new body and a new eternity. Um, The resurrection shows us that even through death, God can bring life and hope. The writer to Hebrews picks up on this in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Looking back at the story of Abraham and Isaac, he says, by faith, Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. How on earth could Abraham do that? The writer of Hebrews says this, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham knew God would provide. Abraham knew that even beyond death, God could bring life again. And God showed that with Jesus. He sacrificed his son to death, and yet... God is the God who provides. God is the God who brought Jesus back from the dead. Jesus went willingly to the cross. He, it was a hard sacrifice. We can't um, undermine how difficult and horrible and horrendous the sacrifice of his death on the cross was. But Jesus knew that it wasn't the end. When he told his disciples what was going to happen and they didn't really understand what he was talking about, he said, look, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die but on the third day I'll rise again. Jesus knew that the resurrection was coming. Jesus knew that God would not abandon him. And you see, for us, as we think about the sacrifices that God asks us to make, we need to understand that God will provide. We need to understand that no matter how much we give up for God, no matter how much we hold on, hand over to God, God can give us far, far more. For some people to become a Christian means to be rejected by their families. But Jesus says, whoever's left families for my sake will have far more in this world than the family of God. It may be that for some people to become a Christian means to lose their life even. But Jesus says, don't fear what man can do to you. Fear what God can do to you. God can give you eternal life. Man can only take away life temporarily. You see, no matter how much we might give up for God, no matter how much God might call us a sacrifice for him, he will always give us far more in response. Sometimes being a Christian can be incredibly hard. Sometimes being a Christian can mean to sacrifice things that we hold on to dearly. But to be a Christian means to love God more than anything else. And when we do that, God will not let us down. God will bless us and provide more than anything else. So what would you withhold from God? Is there anything you love more than him? Are you willing to trust him, even with the things that are most precious to you, knowing that he cares for you, and there are people he cares for them too? God would never let Isaac die. God would never let his son stay in a tomb. God is the one, no matter how much we give up, 
will bless us far more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. It's a challenging story, and it's hard for us to make sacrifices. And yet we look at your sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and we're amazed about what you gave up for us. We're amazed about how much you love us. Help us to love you with all our hearts and soul and mind. Help us not to withhold anything from you. But help us to be willing to give up whatever you require to serve you in this life. That we may rejoice in your incredible blessings, both now and in the life to come. In your name we pray. Amen.